Well, I've uh, gotten done reading my uh, $12 comic. So, I read the story a long time ago. It's about Galactus and the origins of Galactus. And uh, I talked about the story from my memory um, before. But um, really, what ends up happening at the end of his universe is he, he ends up more or less merging with the, uh, the cosmic power or something like that. And at that point, that cosmic power gives him unlimited power, and uh, which goes on to create um, the the version that we know in this universe as uh, as Galactus. Now, one thing I've done over the years is um, really kind of paid attention to technology. You know, the level of advancement, where advancements come from. And one thing that's always had me kind of like bewildered is this thing called nuclear energy. Now, this isn't going to be a discussion about science and, and that kind of stuff, but one thing that's, a, that's had me surprised about nuclear energy is how it really isn't nuclear energy. If you look at uh, how a nuclear power plant works, it's what it's doing is it's creating a steam engine. So if you take industrial age technology and the whole concept and idea of a steam engine, well, how a nuclear reactor works, uh, at least uh, the versions that are on littered on my planet, what they do is they basically they take uh, nuclear energy and uh, they use it to create steam, and that steam in itself is what powers the generators. Well, that isn't nuclear energy. You know, I mean, that may be leveraging um, nuclear energy to to create the power, but that's not, in my opinion, what what Einstein was referring to when he he talked about nuclear power. So, you know, the whole idea of creating efficient explosion and everything, and efficient efficient reaction is is literally the splitting apart of an atom. <coughs> so you take an atom, and uh, the the atoms that they used was um, Oh, plutonium, or um, oh, what's the other one? They're they're called heavy elements, but but more or less they're you know in a sense they're really you know these atoms are are dense considered dense atoms in contrast to other atoms, and you split them apart and you actually uh, obtain the energy from that, and that energy itself is contained in nuclear explosion. And you see these, you know, on, you know, if, uh, through historical uh, records of, you know, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and uh, also the various bombs that have been ignited around the world and everything, you know, since then, at least in test phases and that kind of stuff, you know, in Nevada test range and all that other stuff. But here's the thing. That in itself is not one and the same process that's actually occurring within nuclear reactors. Nuclear reactors leverage a, a, a the decay or um, the these nuclear particles to create uh, heat inside water, and not water in itself. You know that that natural um, that natural we'll call it a nuclear process that that actually emanates radiation and itself also creates radiation in the form of heat energy and that heat energy is then turned around to to leverage to you know to create basically an oversized steam engine well this had has me befuddled you know so what in reality 
has has actually leveraged the nuclear processes that were actually uh, instituted and incepted by Einstein's physics, by Einstein's creation of the nuclear reaction and everything. <coughs> it has me confused. Now I'm no nuclear physicist or anything like that, and it's you know when it when it comes down to it, this is you know what's available on public records and everything. You know, so if you take a look at uh, I'll do a search for nuclear reactions. Or what powers a nuclear power plant? Nuclear energy originates from the splitting of uranium atoms, a process called fission. This generates heat to produce steam which is used by a turbine generator to generate electricity. Now, this for me doesn't make any sense. You're, you're, you're taking nuclear energy, which in itself is, I mean, it's, an, it's enormously capable, and all they're doing is they're using it to create heat. And at that point, that's actually what they're using to, you know, to create a, an oversized industrial, you know, nuclear power plant. That doesn't make sense. I mean, you're, it's not really re leveraging. It's not really leveraging nuclear energy. It's creating energy from steam energy. It's and it seems like an enormous waste of potential energy. That's all I'm saying. It's just like all it's doing is taking one form of energy, converting it to another form of energy, and then converting it to another form of energy. That doesn't make sense, you know. And when I say when I say this, you know, I'm just basically saying, okay, you have nuclear energy, which in itself creates heat through this reaction and everything. Now, they know what happens with this reaction. It's a predictable um, result for that reaction. And it creates steam. It, it creates heat, which then creates steam, <coughs> which, creates, which uh, creates power for a steam <laughs> basically nothing more than a locomotive engine. Well, okay. So, here's what I what I don't get. Do they even understand where this energy comes from? How it creates that energy? And do they even understand the waste that's involved in this process? You know, nuclear energy in itself is a lot more than something that simply trans transfers and transmutes itself into heat. That's just one byproduct, and, and we know this, you know, through something called radioactivity. It also emanates radioactivity, enormous, enormous amounts of radioactivity. And there's other energies that it actually, you know, creates as well. So here's the thing. For me, something like nuclear energy itself um, isn't being utilized like it could be. And, and what we've done effectively with Einstein's discovery and everything back in the 1940s is we've is at least the nuclear energy quote unquote nuclear energy power plants and everything <coughs> are I have created nothing more than a steam engine that in a literal sense is a hundred years dated dated technology. I mean we're literally leveraging the same thing, you know, that powered a steam engine, you know, to create or to you know to power the steam engine and to power locomotives, brute force. 
in order to actually cause this kinetic reaction and everything that actually ends up uh, powering, you know, powering a, a giant turbine. And at that point, the result is a predictable reaction through, you know, kinetic energy. Well, the reason I'm, I'm mentioning this altogether is it, it just, um, it's a reaction that doesn't make logical sense. You know, because what we're, what we're not doing, we see the destructive power of that atom and, and what it's capable of doing. One atom being split or a, a couple atoms being split and everything and the decimation it can actually bring to Hiroshima and Nagasaki and everything. Now, here's the question. If you can actually look at the enormous energy produced from that, from that reaction of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, it decimated buildings. It, it literally destroyed everything within a, a three-mile radius and everything. Um, it absolutely annihilated you know, an entire population. And then you have that reaction, that same reaction is, is channeled to create a single energy source for, you know, just think about it like this, to power a couple thousand households. You know, um, I mean, the same reaction that has the capability to be able to, you know, I mean, in a literal sense, decimate an entire population is being used to, to create energy for a couple thousand households. Now, here's the thing. I'm I'm thinking this this entire reaction is bullshit. And I'm thinking that uh, what we're doing is we've um, those who who took um, Einstein's basically Einstein's uh, what Einstein posited for relativity and everything don't understand what relativity really is. They understand that uh, that the science behind it creates a physical reaction and everything, and that f physical reaction creates predictable results, which is heat energy. You know, but uh, in the end, that heat energy is then, from there, <coughs> being used to create a giant turbine, <coughs> a giant engine. Well, I I don't know. I mean, I just I think that there's it's a waste of efficiency. So, I mean, it's like the spark inside of a, a cylinder. You have the capability to harness the entire entirety of, let's say, carbureted uh, engine and everything in a vacuum. This vacuum actually has a single spark, which ignites some fuel, and that fuel, the entirety, it's easy for me to say, <coughs> entirety of that fuel almost is used. So I'll go so far to say maybe 95% of the fuels probably used, you know, in that reaction. No, it creates byproducts, you know, CO2, um, carbon, mon uh, or carbon monoxide emissions. It does create byproducts and everything, but in that process, the entirety of that explosion that actually occurs inside of an engine and everything um, creates the energy, you know, to power um, more or less power a, it's not a steam engine, it's, it's literally a piston, which in, in, which directly will create propulsion for that car and everything. So you're, you're leveraging, you know, the, the power of that, and there are some emissions from it, so not just, uh, the physical emissions, but you also have sound emissions, you have 
other forms of energy that are actually distributed and everything, which you could potentially make that, and that's what engine designers have done consistently over the last, you know, few, what, 50, 60 years and everything. <coughs> They've continually made engines more more capable, more um, more efficient and everything. But with nuclear energy, it's just like, it's kind of bizarre because they're not, they're not really harnessing the the explosive capabilities of that. Unless I have. See, this is why I talk through things out loud. They've slowed down the explosive capabilities of that, effectively. rather than it occurring over a period of two seconds, three seconds, <clears throat> it occurs over a period of 20 to 30 years. They've effectively slowed down time for that atom. And have turned it into an engine. Heh. See, all it does is it just takes me thinking things out loud. It's kind of brilliant, in a sense. Okay, I take back everything I just said. And yeah, I'm going to post this regardless. Yeah, I know, it could be potential egg on the face, but you know what? Sometimes you got to talk through things out loud. But what they're effectively doing is they're, they're basically taking this uh, process of nuclear power and they're they're taking the decay and they're taking the the equation and they're they're more or less slowing down time they're slowing down the process of the fission reaction and everything and they're delaying it and uh, they're leveraging the heat energy over time so rather and that's actually what happens in the nuclear nuclear reaction <coughs> it, when it uh, over what's the uh, when the process uh, overheats, what's that called? Uh, meltdown. So in a meltdown, the reaction, um, in, in a temporal sense, it accelerates and it uh, it goes out of control. So what ends up happening is the 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 heating for it continues to the point that uh, they're no longer able to slow the fission process and. Uh, what ends up happening is they, you know, the fission process actually accelerates and it creates enormous amounts of heat energy and it, boom, that point, it literally creates a nuclear bomb. Interesting. Huh. I'd never really put two and two together on uh, why a meltdown actually occurs. Now that I understand it, all I had to do is talk about it out loud. Imagine that. Okay, different subject. Um... I ended up um, finishing Watch Dogs, and uh, I ended up uh, finishing with like 82.7% complete. I had a friend ask me about that, and normally I like to actually pursue 100% completion, but um, there was one, I, so there was a, something called Sneak a Song, so you have the capability to be able to, inside the game, um, listen for a song, and uh, you, you have a device on your, or a, an application on the smartphone which will actually 
uh, listen for and identify that song and the artist. So the song name and the artist and everything. So they've got an application, at least in my world, uh, for the Android and you know for various different phones and everything that does the same thing. But uh, that sneak a song, um, I ended up getting 22 out of 23 songs. And it's really random when it comes down to trying to find these songs and everything. So I had got, I had obtained several of those songs through completion of missions and everything throughout the game. Um, many of them um, randomly. So I found a radio or something like that inside a pawn shop or out in the middle of uh, the boonies. Somebody is listening to it and uh, uh, they've actually got a radio that's uh, mounted on the, the shack wall. So I found two songs like that. Um, it's not easy, and you can actually hack the radio to get it to play through the cycle songs and everything, so I started doing that, and I think I obtained maybe like two or three other songs and everything, <coughs> but that's actually one of my failures, so I wasn't able to find all the songs, so there's only one song missing, and um, they also have side missions, so they have something called fixer contracts, um, you can actually boost up your your uh, public acceptance levels by helping so uh, stop criminals and that kind of stuff. And uh, at that point, um, that doesn't actually uh, contribute to the amount of uh, completion that's uh, going on in the game um, after a certain point. So I think there's 20 of those contracts where you actually help people and you know do that kind of stuff. And fixer contracts, I think there was 30 contracts. And what it does is it starts actually repeating, or not repeating the contracts, but they're dynamically created in a lot of cases. So where, you know, if you... If you get 30, that's not the completion. That's That marks the completion of that achievement. So you get 30 out of 30, but it'll keep on generating these things spontaneously and everything. So it it just keeps on repeating this pattern and everything. Well, there was one called a convoy contract, and a convoy contract is kind of a pain in the ass. Uh, what you've got to do is you've got to stop a convoy, but uh, you've also got to, in some cases... Um, cause two, one or two members of that convoy to get out of the convoy, and you've got to take them down without lethal action. So here's here's the problem. Um, they're not willing, you know, so they will be fighting. That, that actually complicates the situation incredibly. So it's not like a convoy where you're trying to break somebody out of prison or jail or something like that. It's a convoy where this person's literally will be shooting at you, and, you know, because I'm playing on the realistic level and everything, it's a, it'll actually go through and... It'll actually, uh, you know, I mean, one. all it takes is one, one well-placed shot or two shots, and boom, I'm dead. So I can't, uh, I, you know, my avatar's dead. So not I'm dead, but my avatar's dead. So um, I ended up, um, you know, I ended up, there was uh, 17 of these contracts, and uh, I ended up getting to this one where there's five, uh, five vehicles in the, in the convoy, and there's a, one's an armored vehicle, and they're not, they're pretty intelligent about the way they react. Like, uh, one of them, I ended up uh, creating a blockade, and uh, one of them literally flanked me. It, it drove all the way around the block. It, f it ended up flanking me, and uh, they ended up uh, shooting me from behind, and I, I wasn't expecting that at all, because my map had been reduced down to the size, so where I could only see things on my mini-map that were actually within range of my... Uh, 
you know, within range of my immediate proximity. So when they ended up uh, driving all the way around, I didn't see the fifth vehicle take off. And all of a sudden, it, it drove all the way around, flanked me. And at that point, I've got, I'm being shot from in front of me. And all of a sudden, boom, I got somebody that just nails and nails me twice from behind. And it's like, what the fuck? And as it zoomed out, I'm just like, oh, lovely. Okay, so I ended up avoiding that. And, and the problem was the, the guys that I ended up uh, having, a, having to target in that convoy, um, there was two of them I couldn't use lethal action. So part of the problem that I had was that there are steam pipes that you can actually get to blow up, and uh, I mean, I, I ended up failing the mission multiple times right away because I kept uh, accidentally killing the guys. And then um, in addition to that, I mean, once I ended up, uh, you know, going with the blockade strategy, you know, I ended up, it was just like, there's no... You know, there's no easy area to basically position yourself. You know, so it just comes down to simple reaction speed. Well, I can use the in-game stuff. I've got something called Memory Hacker, which I, I usually have the capability to be able to hack the game, in some cases, to slow time down on the game itself. Well, Watch Dogs actually has something that prevents that. So that actually complicates the ability to be able to play like I want to normally. Um, it does have an in-game slow time um, thing to it where um, it's called focus and you have the capability to be able to slow time but it's for very very limited short burst times only and uh, I'm just like going okay well this sucks I can't uh, you know I mean I'm chewing this up taking you know taking out guys and everything you know but again it just comes down to I've got two guys that I've got to tank out with non-lethal action and I don't have any non-lethal weapons that's that's problem number one you know so you would think that a, a game like this would actually include stun guns or stun grenades or or something where I can literally target these guys without taking lethal action you know make it a little bit easier and everything but no everything in my arsenal is completely lethally based you know so I've got IEDs improvised uh, explosive devices I've got proximity based IEDs um, they're basically uh, if something comes within a certain range um, the IEDs by themselves are actually uh, triggered manually so I've got to wait for something that's what I ended up doing uh, with uh, with these guys was I actually timed it so where I could take out the front and the back vehicle um, with the IEDs and uh, and these two guys were in the second and the fourth uh, vehicle and um, getting you know the middle one was too risky and everything I was finding um, but uh, I could still target it with the steam uh, by basically timing it over the steam thing, but that just became laborious and uh, nightmarish in order, to, in order to time without actually being able to slow down time. So the IEDs and the proximity-based IEDs work wonderfully um, for when I'm actually uh, dealing with something where I don't have to worry about actually keeping a couple members of the uh, convoy alive. So... I ended up um, at this point just basically. Uh, I, I at that point I'm just like going, okay, this is. I had just finished the game. Um, I had 10 out of 17 convoys done. Three of which probably, um, no, it was probably about half of them um, were I couldn't use lethal uh, lethal force on the the primary suspect uh, that uh, was actually you know I had to actually apprehend. But um, you know, now I was getting to the point where those two that I had to do, and, you know, it's just like, if these guys are one-shot killing me, and not only that, but they're flanking me, it's just, they're using maneuvers, I was just like, well, fuck. 
screw this. So I just, uh, I ended up taking the hit on my percentage completion, you know, 82.7% and everything on that one, just because it's just like, you know, I'm, uh, I enjoy the game and everything, but I'm really kind of done with this one. And that, that was the only sacrifice that I made. So the, the sneaker song and the convoy contracts were the only ones that I ended up, uh, you know, 10 out of 17, and the sneak is on 22 out of 23 um, that I ended up getting. So, I still managed to complete most of it. The rest of the game that I couldn't complete actually requires legal copy, and uh, that was uh, because it actually goes online, and it goes over the Uplay network, which actually does a check on your ID and your the authentic authenticity of your copy and everything, and um, clearly, I'm I'm a I'm a pirate arg, <coughs> so I couldn't actually uh, complete that uh, that aspect, which uh, definitely uh, took it away from the hundred percent. That was a vast majority. That probably took away about sixteen percent of the hundred percent as the online content and uh, that they ended up having. So they had some interesting things that that were available for the online content, but for Watch Dogs One, um, it's not enough for me to actually want to make the purchase. Uh, for Watch Dogs Two, I actually it is the type of game. I mean, Watch Dogs One, I ended up picking up again. You know, I mean, with the twelve point seven percent complete and and starting it over. It's one of the few games that uh, I haven't gotten that frustrated with. And Assassin's Creed does the same thing too. I've lost progress in some Assassin's Creed games, and uh, you know I've I've picked that up just uh, you know because I actually enjoy the experience and everything. But you know when it comes down to it, Watch Dogs Two is definitely a type of game that I might that I might pick up again just because it's so wonderful, it's so creative, it's so thoughtful, and. Uh, um, I'm actually, you know, thinking about creating a, a, a game that's a, it's kind of a sequel to this, you know, so it's it's just as beautiful, it's just as, you know, my goal is to, you know, consider looking at these games, and uh, especially Watch Dogs 2, because I love, love, love the environment within it. So, you know, the whole feel. Somebody actually uh, ended up making a comment online about Watch Dogs 2, is it's a... Uh, it's got this funky hipster vibe to it, and I would 100% agree with that statement. It absolutely does have this, you know, San Francisco hipster um, yuppie type vibe to it that it really makes it fun. I mean, you go through the campus of this of this place called, um, oh, what was it? It's like a Facebook type thing, Noodle is the name of the company, and it's just, it's just a... Uh, <laughs> they've they've done such a great job in creating in in world presences for these companies and and authentic looking companies and logos and and content for the companies that you interact with and they did a decent job with Watch Dogs One but Watch Dogs Two they totally took it to the next level not only that but they also made the content a lot more fun and a lot more um, a lot more uh, robustness and capabilities that were available with the uh, with the hacking capabilities now it's still kind of kind of Limited. And like I said before, the chief complaint that I've had with both of these games has been the lack of ability to be able to mess with people with <coughs> without destructive force. So, if, um, I don't know, is there a DLC? I'm going to check real quick. DLC, DLC for Watch Dogs. Eh, has some creative DLC for those who have stuck around. I'm going to get it. 
Yeah, so Watch Dogs 2, a game with a great open-world gameplay, a weird hipster hacker tone, and a whole lot of undertow for people bitter about its inferior pre predecessor, has some good DLC that you probably missed. It's the kind of DLC that doesn't necessarily make headlines because it's not so, sort of an ex a classic expansion that's so good it should be its own game a la the anti-slavery freedom cry adventure originally apprehended uh, appended to Assassin's Creed 4 is instead a DLC that kind of that riffs the kind that uses the gap in time between the main game comes out and the add-on arrives to assume that players have become really familiar with the game's formulas ready for some tweaks um yeah i mean i this is the type of game that i, I will actually pick up and uh play just because it's so it's got this fun, funky vibe to it. And, um, you know, it's like Watch Dogs, it's just so dark, it's so bleak. I mean, it has some wonderful lore to it. And while I did finish it, it's a type of game that just didn't leave me with a, a good feeling, you know, when I got done with it. And, and that's, you know, it's not like I'm looking for a good feeling experience and everything, but, you know, it's just, it had such wonderful you know, wonderfully well thought out design to the world, you know, that I just wish they would have taken it to the next level and done some of the things that they did with Watch Dogs 2. Now I understand that you've got to do some of these things in order to get a game out and everything. You've got to limit the production and everything, you know, but um, in, in a game about hackers, you know, you, you have to add in a little bit more hacking content and I'm absolutely glad they did what they did with Watch Dogs 2. In my opinion, if they had the capability, um, you know, to erase time and make it so where Watch Dogs 2 was the first game rather than Watch Dogs 1, and uh, just take Watch Dogs 1 as kind of like the bastard stepchild that, you know, really just didn't, uh, you know, didn't perform. If they can actually alter time and make it so where Watch Dogs 2 is Watch Dogs 1, and Watch Dogs 1 is kind of like um, maybe some competing product or something like that. Um, I mean, they might get jabbed and everything. I mean, in any case, I still think it's wonderful. And this is, I'm going to check, Watch Dogs, is it available on Steam? I know, I'm not trying to, I'm not, clearly not an advocate for, you know, for these sales channels. I mean, I'm not, uh, not sponsored nor supported by these publishers and everything of these games you know but um, when it comes down to it this is one of the few games that I will play for the re or will pick up to have on my machine just like GTA um, GTA is such a wonderful game from um, not just the game perspective and the storyline GTA 5 I'm talking about and and also GTA Vice City it's such a wonderful game from and oh my god, the world is just so fucking vibrant and beautiful. And if you if you just purchase the game just for the sake, GTA 5 I'm talking about, um, if you just purchase the game just for the sake of tourism, just for, for the sake of looking at the what they've done in this world and everything, it's fucking amazing. And uh, Watch Dogs 2 has, has gone similarly. Maybe not quite as diverse as uh, as GTA, but the abilities that you have within the game to be able to interact as an individual with other individuals, and not only that, but the ability that you have to be able to do things, you know, from a hacking perspective or everything, kind of kind of goes that extra mile and everything, and makes up for the difference in in loss and overall um, in overall scenery. So while while San Francisco and the whole 
you know, funky, eclectic vibe and everything, you know, um, it's a lot more colorful, you know, for, you know, for the, uh, for Watch Dogs too. But the city does feel smaller, and it is, it is definitely, um, a, a, a stark contrast to GTA, which it actually does feel almost like a world. Well, and content-wise, I don't, I don't know if the games are that much different in size and everything. Um, but it definitely feels like GTA's, GTA 5's bigger, so... Whatever they did, you know, they've done it well with that game. So, Steam. I'm going to check out my Steam account and see if I've actually got the uh, capability. I'm still kind of blown away about Steam when it comes down to uh, the whole understanding of what a meltdown is. It's interesting. I never really thought about that before. So, anyway, sometimes talking to yourself, you actually uh, learn, learn things you never thought about before. <laughs> I'd always wondered, what is a meltdown? Why is it, uh, you know, how is it they can't protect against a meltdown? Well, duh. Okay, so Steam, you know another uh, Civilization Six ad just came on? So, let's go for Watch Dogs 2. I'm just checking out the price. $39.98. Psychedelic pack, Watch Dogs. Metro Modernist pack, oh my god, all this DLC. Oh, <laughs> Urban Artist Pack, Private Eye Pack, what's this? Oh, man, they have so much DLC. Wow. Unfortunately, I don't have, have any money. But with all this DLC available, this is just too cool. And yes, I'm okay with seeing mature content come on. Yes, I know there's naked people that are walking around in the game. Big fucking deal. One of these days you're actually going to show us sex and not be ashamed of it. I'm looking at Watch Dogs 2 Season Pass. Continue your hacker's journey with several hours of additional mission content, new co-op difficulty modes, outfits, vehicles, and many other customization items. All at one great prize with the Watch Dogs 2 Season Pass. So, you get the T-Bone Content Bundle. Get the style and swagger of legendary hacker T-Bone Grady with his car and outfit and discover a new co-op difficulty. Human conditions. Hack your way through several hours of additional mission content and three new world stories. And uncover San Francisco's biggest scientific scandals. Huh, that could be interesting. <laughs> DLC 3. No compromise. Experience an all-new world story which mixes Marcus up in the seedy underbelly of San Francisco and gets him in crosshairs of the Russian Mafia. Also includes a new co-op mode. Root Access Bundle includes a full set of outfits, cars, drones, and gun themes in the Zodiac Killer Mission. And Psychedelic Pack to customize Marcus's outfit, weapon. See, I'm not... I mean, I don't... I do do customization of the outfit and everything, but I, I'm not obsessive about it. So, I mean, I, I do like it to... It's just like on occasion I will take Marcus and I made sure I bought all the clothes and everything that he could possibly have. <coughs> But, Punk Rock Pack, what's that? Stand up and stand out in the crosshairs. Contains a set of custom clothing as well as skin. Okay. Psychedelic. <laughs> Guru Pack. 
contains a set of custom clothing as well as skins for vehicles. Okay, a lot of these are just actually Ubisoft pack. Represent, you're more than just a fan, you're part of the Ubisoft dev team, so grab some icons, Ubisoft swag, and hang with us. We couldn't do it without you. What's the Ubisoft pack? I'm kind of curious about this one. Oh. It's just basically, it's clothing. So, Watch Dogs, I mean, it's, it's definitely the type of game that, um, is that when it came out? Oh, okay, November 28, 2016. Ride Britannia pack. Yeah, most of it's vehicles, weapons, and... Oh, RC devices. Eh. Mega pack. What's the mega pack? Retro Marius, yeah. So there's just... Sometimes there's bundles in there. Oh, it looks like people have just been making mods and actually adding it. That's interesting. So it's not official content, it's actually uh, just um, things that uh, other people have been creating and putting up on uh, on on here. Watchdogs, bad blood. See, I, and that's the thing, it's just like I have no desire whatsoever to play in the world presented of Watchdogs. Um, it's in Chicago, it's bleak, it's dreary, it's kind of like my impression of Chicago was when I originally went through there. You know, I went back and I went through uh, Chicago back in 2005, and I also bought a car from there in 2007. Um, I mean, I would go there for to celebrate uh, uh, St. Patty's Day without hesitation, because they have some awesome um, Irish pubs and everything, you know, if I didn't want to go to Ireland. <coughs> They, it's uh, definitely, it's a unique city with a different vibe to it, but it feels, um, it feels urban. I mean, it feels, um, very, um, rough around the edges, and, you know, I mean, you definitely need that every once in a while, and that's actually why I continued playing it. It's just like, I played it the first couple times and everything, and I just couldn't get into it, and, and despite the fact that this game didn't grab me, you know, that this world didn't grab me. I mean, they did a great job on the detail, without hesitation. But overall, Watch Dogs, the world presented in Watch Dogs didn't really grab me um, from a visceral sense when in, in contrast to Watch Dogs 2. You know, Watch Dogs 2, the color, you know, between the two. Now, if you're, you know, here's the thing. Um, San Francisco, hands down, is a lot more colorful than Chicago. Chicago tends to be shades of grays in a lot of cases, and... and they captured this brilliantly with watchdogs. So I can certainly recommend to anybody, you know, play the game. It's it's worth it. It's it's entertaining, you know, it's it, it's not you know, it's not gonna blow you away entertaining, but it's still entertaining from a a you know, they've put it together and they've done a good job with it since. So but uh, Watch Dogs two is is like I said, between the two, it's just hands down so much better. Okay. So off of that subject altogether, away from my nuclear subject and everything, it's currently twelve thirty. <clears throat> um, my mom and dad got back and uh, you know, I ended up making dinner last night and everything. Um, finished up with my uh, um, with watchdogs, like I said yesterday, and started looking for new th sources of entertainment. So I've currently got on my slate um, 
four games I've basically pulled down that I'm going to be rotating between until I actually find one that's, uh, you know, that I, I'm sticking to that I can't live without and everything that hopefully grabs me from a story. One's called Sleeping Dogs, and it's, uh, <clears throat> I've played it uh, through the first couple missions, and it's based in Hong Kong. Hong Kong's one of my favorite cities in the world. And, um, it's... It seems to depict some of the uh, some of the vibe and some of the feel pretty decently and everything. Although it might be a little bit more cluttered than the real thing, but the real thing is terrifically, you know, cluttered. It's it's very crazy for the senses and everything being there. Um, it's not as colorful as the real world. That's surprising to me. Um, there's, you know, in in a lot of cases, I think that's the whole thing is um, capturing the color, you know, and the fantastic uh, craziness that is Hong Kong. Um, could be difficult for almost anybody, <clears throat> but they do do a good job on capturing the vibe, you know, so you've got to, like, little markets and, you know, this whole funky, eclectic, um, you know, Chinese vibe to the place and everything, um, they, they definitely capture, you know, in this game, and that actually makes it entertaining, and what it is, it's about a cop that, uh, he's, he just freshly moved from, from the states over to Hong Kong, and uh, he's there more or less to help and help the local cops infiltrate a gang as a uh, as somebody that uh, has relationships already established with one of the gang members um, as a friend. He was actually a friend when he was young, so he ends up um, coming back to town and everything, and he's lost contact with basically everybody that he that he's uh, with, and as a result, it allows him to come in as a special agent and everything, and actually work on a task force to take down the local gangs and everything in Hong Kong. So the storyline is actually a pretty interesting story. It's very combat-oriented, so it's um, a lot more combat-oriented than any any game that I've been playing so far, and uh, which really, for me, it's um, I don't know if it's going to be able to keep me engaged in everything, just because I'm so, so sick and tired of things that are actually interested in using nothing but brute force and beating the shit out of people in order to basically uh, progress the uh, quest lines and that kind of stuff. It seems so, what I consider, uh, what was it, um, Neanderthal, you know, in uh, in way. But... Um, because of the interesting, engaging story, and because of the environment and everything, I'm going to continue playing it off and on. So that one's uh, definitely definitely got my uh, got my appeal. Um, the other one that I've pulled down is Yakuza um, Zero, and it's very similar to. Um, to sleeping dogs, with the exception of it's uh, based in Japan. Um, but here's the problem. The game immediately crashed um, on my system and everything. I tried bumping up the graphics all the way the first time, which, you know, on this machine, this machine, you know, has been able to handle everything I've thrown at it, no problem at all. Well, this this game here, which, um, let's see when it was released. When was Yakuza... Zero released. Yeah, so March March twelfth, two thousand fifteen. Now I've been playing far more recent games, <coughs> and um, it's here's the thing. It's just like it's gotten great re reviews, but I I think that uh, already um, I'm getting a sense that from a programmatic standpoint and everything. They have already done an immediate fail in making it so where I've got to run on the lowest settings. Um, but I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to try to actually get the thing functional and everything. It's developed by Sega, 
which for me is a big, huge bonus. Um, I'm a big fan of anything Sega. Have been ever since they've come out uh, with their stuff back for the Atari and the whole was it Crash Bandicoot and all that kind of stuff and everything and games that came out on the arcades. Oh my god, I've been such a fan of uh, anything Sega for such a long time. Now the game starts off violently um, and immediately it's just like I'm going, okay, you know, I'm I'm wanting to play some more Eastern culture type games anyways, so I'm just, I'm really kind of like saying, okay. One of the interesting things I thought about though was, you know, our... I mean, the Yakuza are pretty well known for being a mob over in Japan and everything. And I started thinking, you know, are are some of these gangs, you know, so wealthy and everything that they're actually paying for the development of these games? You know, to more or less show the, show the world what they are and what they're capable of and everything? You know, I mean, the immediate feel that I get is, you know, this is kind of like brutal. It's kind of vicious. You know, through the through the immediate cutscenes and everything, when all of a sudden it blinked out, and it's just like, okay, fuck, this sucks. So I've got to start it back up. And at that point, it was like twelve o'clock last night, and I wasn't want to uh, to toy around with it. So, but I will today. But I just started thinking, wait a second, you know, do do some of these gangs turn around and actually become legitimate by taking their funds? And using it to to basically inject uh, to create entertainment and do whatever, you know, with with the idea and the intention of basically making it so where their image and their name becomes recognized, you know, for for things and everything, you know, um, and in a sense, right here, they're creating entertainment with the idea that it's supposed to be fictional, but deep down, in their subconscious mind, they know that the, that their subconscious mind is being programmed to understand that the yakuza is a lethal gang that's based out of Japan. You know, so I actually, uh, through watching and through, you know, through what I've heard about it, it's just like, wait a second, is this actually created by one the, and funded by one and the same organization that has been worldwide renowned, you know, for their brutality? It's kind of interesting, you know? I mean, what is it, you know, other than, I mean, they can clearly make a lot of money from something like this. I mean, and it just really goes to show, it's just like, is this how some of these gangs, you know, and, you know, places actually get legitimacy? You know, by creating products and services and everything that actually, to some degree, entertains the world? And is this why the, these gangs and things are actually allowed to persist? Because there's a deep-seated interest and desire to understand and, you know, to know the human condition and everything and let these things persist and everything? I don't know. You know, so, anyways, that's that's another one, Yakuza Zero. And uh, it's this is a quote from Wikipedia. Um, it's an action-adventure game developed and published by Sega. It's a prequel to the Yakuza series. The game takes place in December 1988 in Kamurucho, a fictional recreation of Tokyo's Kabuchi, Kaba, Kaba Kicho, uh, so Timbori. Um, it just goes on. Just basically, it's, uh, I mean, it's not even getting given a plot away, is it? Um... I mean, I already told the plot and everything, but it's, you know, I mean, it's, I haven't been able to really play it yet, so hopefully I can get the puppy working and everything today. Um, the other one I've got is Life is Strange Before the Storm. Now, I played the, uh, played the first one to this one, and I've talked about it before, but, um, it's, you know, ha hands down, it's really, what I like about it is it's a very, very story-based game, 
and uh, you're more or less clicking and just basically making selections and choices for this you know, young 14-year-old girl and everything as she's trying to struggle with uh, coping with uh, her burgeoning powers and also um, the, the decisions from a that she's making in her life and everything. So it's just like like peering over the shoulder of somebody, you know, uh, a young girl and everything, and helping her with the decisions and everything, or making the wrong decisions for her in my case. Um, and the last one that I ended up getting is called Sunset Overdrive, and it's it grabbed me immediately because it's got to, it's by Insomniac Games. So... Anyways, my father's here. I'm going to put this on pause and probably return to it later. But uh, anyways, thank you for listening, and I'll keep continuing later. Okay, I'm back. My uh, dad just came back, and uh, I was taking advantage of the quiet household today. And uh, just going through, and that's why I was doing this now. But uh, yeah, in the process, I uh, was uh, waiting for him to leave and do whatever it is he's doing. Um, he's actually uh, taking off running more errands. I went to take a look at um, Watch Dogs 2 on Steam and saw... Yeah, if any, any, any anybody at, uh, listening to this, I don't know how many people, I, I suspect it's uh, only you, David, but uh, if there are others that are actually listening too... Uh, there's other ways, I mean, if you wanted to help donate to my cause, which is absolutely fucking nothing, <laughs> um, I would certainly take gifts on, uh, Steam as well. My universal bry at, uh, gmail.com is my email, and, um, timelordq is my username. So I've had people that have, uh, helped me out on there before, and I will use this to buy a legitimate copy of Watch Dogs too. So if you want to legitimize my my playing and everything, and um, I'd actually I'd, I'd use it to save up for they've got uh, Watch Dogs 2 Gold Edition, which currently is ninety nine ninety nine. Um, it's uh, I they they have sales all the time, so I'd probably wait for a sale no matter how much I got and everything. But the Gold Edition includes the game, the Deluxe Pack, two personalization packs. And uh, the season pass, and the season pass comes with it uh, all the DLC content or the major DLC content that comes with it. You know, so for me, uh, that's actually what I'd I'd use it for is I'd actually play it all the way through again. This time, I'd focus on getting a hundred percent completion for the thing, just because it really was such um, such a phenomenally well done well done game, and uh, I really did enjoy all the characters in it. Um, they had, kind of, I mean, here's the thing: like uh, Watch Dogs One, Aiden Quinn, he's just not a likable guy. You know, he's serious, he's kind of like, um, he's an asshole, and, uh, he doesn't have a sense of humor or anything like that, where, you know, Watch Dogs 2 has just got a lot more personality to it in, in every character. So, Clara, one of the few people that actually does have a little bit of personality and everything, is killed uh, at the very end of uh, Watch Dogs 1. Um, also, there's another one, Raymond Kenny was the guy's name, too. That guy had personality, and you know, it's just like, um, I mean, while you don't want to really play as him and everything, it's just uh, the the characters within Watch Dog 1 um, didn't have the vibrancy, the personality, the um, the whole, you know, you, I mean, he certainly has his motivations, and I'll, I'll put that in contrast between the two. Aiden Quinn, um, without hesitation, had his reasons for doing what he did. Very, very, very strong plotline um, and very, very strong motivations for the protagonist to do what he did um, and do what he does. 
So to be the vigilante and everything, you know, it, it's not that hard to actually understand and identify with him as a character to, to basically say, okay, you know, um, personally, if I was in his shoes, I, I may be doing the same thing, but you know, it's just one of those things that, uh, that I don't know. Um, but, uh, Watch Dogs 2, while the protagonist doesn't necessarily have the same, um, level of motivation and intrigue and everything that's uh, motivating him and everything. The fact of the matter is it's still a much more interesting, diverse crew, and uh, it just makes for a lot more what I consider character, you know, in inside this and everything. There's a lot more um, intrigue and everything to it. Um, a lot more, f I shouldn't say intrigue, f fun. Just fun altogether. I mean, here's the cool thing. Like, one of the things you can do inside the game, there's a nudist colony. You can actually just go and, and uh, hang out and watch. Oh, you can't literally hang out. You can't get naked yourself or anything like that, which, you know, I don't know why games will let you shoot people's heads off, but, uh, you know, get naked it seems to be a sin that's just retarded and weird. Um... You know, but uh, you can actually, you can get, you, you can uh, go to this nudist colony. The funny thing is, you get them to walk outside the colony by leveraging your uh, your RC RC control, uh, your RC bots, and uh, push them to, uh, to walk outside and everything. So, it's kind of funny like that and everything. You know, but like I said, it's just like, you know, I actually may get into, I don't know if I'd get into the modding for Watch Dogs 2 like I have with GTA. Snowy! She, uh, she's... Snowy is the my mom and dad's Bijan. They have two dogs. Hey, come on, baby. Hey, sweetheart. Come on out here. Come on. Oh, where's Freckles? Come on, babe. Come on, Freckles. Come on out here. Everybody say hi to, to Snowy. Hi, sweetheart. Snowy is their 14-year-old Bijan. She is adorable. But she's a little bit of a whiner. Yeah, you, you're a whiner. She's really kind of like a, a mama and daddy's boy or girl. So, <coughs> and uh, Freckles—it's uh, my brother's dog, but she spends uh, Freckles spends most of her time here. So Freckles is kind of like a—it's um, like a Chihuahua something mix, a little, uh, quite a bit bigger than a Chihuahua. But uh, anyway, Snowy currently misses my. Uh, my dad who just took off but in any case um i don't know i mean i i'm actually so playing Watch Dogs 2 and uh going back to and making the modifications in gta it's gotten to put things in a lot of contrast you know for me it's just uh being able to see one of the cool things that uh, Watch Dogs 2 does is it allows you to um allows it has moving billboards so a lot of the signs and a lot of the 
a lot of the things inside the game um, are constantly moving and that kind of stuff. So, you know, uh, GTA has this, but when it comes down to being able to mod things to do it when it normally isn't uh, geared for it, um, that actually becomes a little bit tougher. And uh, one of the things I've actually had a difficult time doing within the GTA world is is creating what, what appears to be dynamic content. Now, I can certainly have behaviors that are uh, dynamic, so I can, uh, I can tell a pedestrian to go to certain certain locations, um, I can tell cars to go to certain locations, um, but w other than that, um, I can't, um, I have to create a model inside the game, and at that point, embed it within the source code for it, and once that embedding's done, um, what Grand Theft Auto does is it locks the file for edits until you physically shut down GTA again. So there's no way to allow for new models to be put into the system and everything, um, at least easily that I've seen um, so far. And I've gone through quite a bit of this and everything um, without physically shutting down the process itself and restarting it back up. So this creates a little bit of a problem, you know, when you're trying to make modifications to it and everything. You know, it creates limitations. And the limitations become, um, I can draw in the game. Um, I can draw two-dimensional uh, imagery, imagery. I could draw three-dimensional imagery, as I've seen in everything. Um, but I cannot uh, load up new three-dimensional models um, without, uh, without actually physically shutting down the process and actually restarting it. So that, for me, is, is kind of like... Um, <sighs> problematic when it comes down to it. And the reason for this is um, if I'm actually wanting to create dynamic content in the game, you know, so based on your user interactions and everything, if I want your actions to result in the development and creation of a new model um, within this game world and everything, um, so what I'm trying to say is, let's say you as a player, you're actually moving around within this world, and uh, let's say you... Um, you decide to leverage a 3D printing device, and, and that 3D printing device creates a, a new model for your radio-controlled car within Watch Dogs 2. You know, so, and they've actually got a 3D printer within it. Well, the 3D printer that they have within this Watch Dogs 2 world um, only print, prints uh, models that have actually been embedded within the Watch Dogs 2 source code itself. So, so let's say um, you know you have the capability to be able to um, leverage a um, let's just say a, a new mod comes out that actually lets you create new um, let's say a, a mod comes out that allows you to. Uh, play with software inside the game like an AutoCAD or something like that. And that AutoCAD allows you to the development of three-dimensional models within within your environment and everything. Well, um, if you actually wanted to see the result of this 3D model being created, there's no way, at least that I've seen physically within Watch Dogs 2, snowy, with, uh, to be able to uh, to create those models and to be able to interact with them. So let's say you want to create like a, um, a model of a fire hydrant within this game world, within GTA, you know, um, GTA or within uh, Watch Dogs 2. There's no way to be able to create a, um, a model, a fixed model of something, without actually embedding it within the, uh, within, within the um, source code itself. And at that point, uh, there's no way to load it up dynamically. So and this is actually kind of what I'm trying to, trying to figure out. Um, and here's my perspective. Uh, let's say I'm developing a, 
a programming environment and everything for an Oculus within with you're within an Oculus uh, Oculus uh, world. Or let's say let's say um you're you're wearing GTA you're wearing goggles you know an Oculus VR goggles and uh, you're doing this um, Oculus VR or you're doing a um, you're within a holodeck a, a Star Trek based holodeck a simulated simulated world. And uh, let's say you're interested in creating a a new um, a, a new type of uh, a new type of machine. Let's just say it's a. I mean, let's say that it's never been introduced inside this world before, you know, um, through the models and everything. But uh, let's say you want to create this. Um, let's say it's a. I don't know. Um, a hovercraft. Um, that uh, is is based on jet propulsion, you know. So it's you know you've got. Will you stop? No. Quit your whining. Hovercraft isn't a good word for it. Let's just say you're. you're I'm going to keep it real simple. Let's say you've got a four by four by a four foot by four foot by two inch block. And this is made of some organic material, um, theoretical and everything, that levitates by itself. And let's just say it remains at a fixed position, you know, and it levitates and you can actually move it around. It actually reacts to your touch. So when you get up to it, it has something called collision detection and has a capability to be able to move with it within this environment and everything. Well, here's part of the problem. Um, within a GTA world and also within the Watch Dogs world from what I've seen, in order for you to have something that actually has both a model and collision detection for it as well, at that point it actually has to be embedded within the source code itself. Well, this creates a problem, right? If you're wanting to work within a dynamic environment, let's say you've you've completed the game, you know, and let's say you're playing this with the Oculus VR, and now let's say you want to start making modifications to this game world, you know. Um, now, once you actually start this process and everything, and you're actually making these modifications inside this world, let's say you want to add, you know, an alien artifacts. Uh, maybe you want to create an Area 51. And within it, you've got alien artifacts. And alien artifacts, let's say you've got this four foot by four foot by two inch thick um, thing that that works that you can set anything on top of it and it it's weight free and it's literally, it's, you know, it's something you can actually push and it, uh, it, it moves effortless, effortlessly, no friction, no nothing, and you could set any amount of weight on this little four inch by four inch thing. And uh, maybe let's say in Area 51, it's being used to move computer monitors and, you know, keyboards and shit like that around, you know, so the whole futility of having this, you know, finally advanced futuristic device and everything, and they're just using it to move computers. You know, that's Area 51 for you. So let's say, in theory, this this thing exists and everything and uh, in inside this world. But, uh, you know, within the GTA world, let's say I'm wanting to create this, 
this device, this technology within the GTA world or within the Watch Dogs world. Well, I physically have to make modifications to the to the RPF files um, and also to the literal source code for GTA in order to create this new object. And, and the reason for it is I also have to put in collision detection for it. I also have to put in these um, other mechanics and everything of motion that actually um, gravitate towards this, this object and this object alone and everything. You know, so there's no easy way to do this within the GTA world that I've seen. Um, now, I can certainly draw lines, you know, and uh, I can actually do that dynamically. So I can actually create script that can actually call out to my own script and everything. And, and I can draw objects and I can also do some level of player position detection and everything to make it so where um, I can actually create a... Um, in a sense, a vector art, uh, which is more or less solid colors, um, to be able to create an object like that. But there comes a problem when it comes down to, you know, something called texturing, and uh, the texturing in itself will be a problem, and also the player position and everything will be a problem. Um, so if the player actually attempts to get on this object and everything, sure, I can detect the player's position. I can make it so where the player won't sink into it. But it's not going to be natural, and there's going to be uh, the, the player will constantly be trying to fall through that object and everything, and I'll constantly be trying to, you know, take his position, putting his his position back on top of that object and everything, you know. So it's just one of those things that it's just not a natural fit and everything. So that's actually one thing I've really been thinking about is. Um, a programming environment from within that environment could be altogether different than the programming environment f um, observing that environment from the outside world. You know, so, Snowy, sweetheart, don't walk away from me and go yell. So... Anyways, um, that's actually what I'm thinking of, is how is it you would actually program the world around you from within the world? You know, what, what kind of development environment would I create? You know, and I have a feeling that as I go through these motions and everything, more and more the controls become a part of my world anyways. So, I, it's, it's kind of a mental, logical exercise. You know, if, if I'm within the environment of which is a programmed environment to begin with and everything. Um, let's say I'm on a holodeck or I'm inside of a, you know, inside um, Oculus VR or something like that. Let's say um, I create a programmed environment outside that environment at first, thinking about it from outside the environment, to leverage from within inside the environment. How would I go about doing that? So that's actually part of the, part of the reason um, I'm actually thinking about creating my own big huge game and everything it's just uh and modeled somewhat after watchdogs uh maybe even calling it a watchdogs myself and uh you know trying to actually uh take con take control of the franchise and everything but um it it's just uh you know how is it you can actually create this you know system and everything and make it so where you can actually alter and change things within this world and everything to be anything that you want to you know, and, uh, and and give that capability to the person that's actually the hacker. You know, that, so in the end, let's say, you know, at the end of, um, 
I'm going to call it, let's, let's say, Watch Dogs 5 for purpose of illustration. Um, so let's say Watch Dogs 5. At the end of Watch Dogs 5, the hacker um, has hacked a government institution and everything to discover that they have literally hacked the world. And uh, now that he's come to these skills and capabilities, you know, now all of a sudden he's got controls to, in a literal sense, um, alter the fundamental uh, foundation of the planet itself. You know, has a capability to be able to hack um, hack the world around him. You know, what does he do? You know, and not only that, but what kind of controls does he now have? So you're within this Oculus world, and you've just done this. You know, you've just made it so where you know you've opened up these possibilities. And not only that, in order for you to get to this point inside the game, you have to have completed with a certain percentage. Let's say 100 percent or something like that. You know, and at that point, you know, once you do. Well, at that point now, all of a sudden, you've got controls, you know, within this world, you know, as, from that perspective and everything, to be able to do anything that you want to. You know, now, for me, as a developer, actually creating that world, what is it I, I would actually, uh, what what would I do, you know, and uh, how is it I would make certain things possible? You know, let's say I want to make it so where you can, you know, time travel. Um, and this is actually something I've actively been thinking of is, you know, how can I actually make it so where I can have a comp... Oh, that dog can be damn annoying. Hey, why are you yelling? Come here. You don't come in here and start yelling. Gonna stay with me. Oh, I know, it sucks me holding you. So, anyways, nope, you're not going nowhere. You want, you're lonely? You're not going to be lonely then. Oh, look at me. So, anyways, that's actually what I'm thinking of, is how is it I, you know, what things would I want under my control, you know, with, within this world? Um, well, first off is I want a history for the world around me. You know, so I want the ability, you know, to be able to um, progress time, you know, so take this world, you know, let's say we're looking at Watch Dogs 2, you know, and take this world and actually, you know, take time, and uh, I want to see the development of San Francisco. Um, let's say I want to go back and experiment with time. You know, I mean, I've got the capability to be able to alter, you know, the uh, fundamental arrangement of uh, energy itself. Well, let's say I want to take this thing out as a simulation and, uh, Make alterations. You know, how is it I, I as a programmer, make this possible? You know, other things, more simplistic things, you know, like in the moment type things. Um, let's say I want to make physical changes to the environment around me and build new houses and actually become an architect in this world. You know, and what I'm talking about doing is just basically making it so where there's a fully immerse, immersive world, you know, where you can do anything, be anything, create new professions if you want to, and in a literal sense affect the, the lives of the pedestrians and those people that are actually residing within your world. You know, and uh, not only that, but uh, they have the dynamic capability to be able to adjust, you know, to, to what you do. You know, so if you create a new car, you know, or something like that, and uh, stop. You know, they, they will start driving these cars around, particularly if you actually introduce it through, you know, through simple chains. You know, what are all the different possibilities? Stop. You are such a pain in the ass. All I'm doing is holding her. And she's going to go back in the, in the back room and uh, start yelping. What? He'll be right back. 
you could tell they were gone for a couple days because she gets uh she already messes them now that they've left. They don't have to, I don't want them to leave already. So that's actually what I'm trying to think of is uh you know if I'm to actually project out a game that I'm gonna create, you know, and uh, the goal is to basically um, and this sounds like a horrific goal for you know for me too, a horrifically fun one as well. Um, but uh, rather than keeping everything in uh, in assets and everything, you know, like textures and and models and that kind of stuff, uh, keeping keeping it all in code. So what I'm actually thinking of is uh, is uh, actually creating this game with one big goal: consume one terabyte of space to install it. So. Now put this in perspective. Current games are are shooting. You know, have about a. Uh, for the bigger games, 50 gig. Um, I've seen some that, that are even bigger than that, 80 gig and everything. But, uh... Snowy! Stop! They'll be back in a second. Just stop. So, that's one goal, is consume one, one gig. Uh, or one terabyte. Um, but uh, other goals are just uh, a little bit more es esoteric. You know, the ability to be able to keep things inside of a database. Not only that, but, uh, you know, the world that you build might be substantially different based on the day-to-day -day interactions that, that you do, you know, even in the course of doing the main storyline mission and everything. You know, so you can have one storyline, one mission and everything, but the results in the in the world around you can be profoundly different. So this basically has it so where I immediately want this game out of the bag to basically have an element of time travel associated with it. You know, so time manipulation. You know, so where, let's say, um, one storyline for this thing is going to be you um, have the capability you know, to tell a story to somebody that is actually leveraging um, a, a mechanism of time travel that uh, you're not fully aware of yet. And, uh, and at that point, you're influencing their mind and their decisions and everything, and thus, at that point, um, directly affecting um, time, you know, because of the story that you tell them. Well, that will actually shape the outside world around you. And uh, what I'm what I'm saying. So let's say, for instance, you know, you you've gotten in, in contact with somebody from Area 51, and um, but uh, you've hacked somebody from Area 51, and and they don't know that uh, you've hacked them. So let's say from there, um, they um, you know they are making some decisions and everything for. Uh, something that uh, they're interacting with. You found out about a project that they're working on that uh, that actually has direct contact with the year 19, let's just say 1980, you know, for purposes of illustration and everything. And uh, you know, you know, through your hacking efforts and everything, that they're actually directly in contact with the year 1980. They're leveraging time travel mechanisms that you don't fully understand, you know, but you know through the course of the emails and everything who he works for is, you know, is uh, valid and uh, not only that, but uh, what he's doing is, is actually true as well. And uh, at this point, you learn about the time travel mechanisms firsthand by basically influencing it, and maybe you've got one of three different options or one of a, a handful of different options and everything. 
to alter time. Well, this actually alters time directly around you, which actually alters the fundamental structure of the world around you. You know, so what I want to do is basically make it so where you send this story off, and at this point maybe there's a cutscene, and that cutscene actually shows the developmental changes that occurred in the world around you based on the the elements of time that you actually change. So, for instance. Um, Let's say um, I'm going to set the city in Phoenix, uh, or my my theoretical game in Phoenix, and um, it, it's basically it's going to be two scale, um, so where it will take you 30 minutes on on no traffic days on like a Sunday at 11 o'clock at night or something like that or 12 o'clock at night when nobody's on the road, it'll take you 30 minutes to go from. Um, the northwest side of the city to, or the northwest side of the um, metropolitan area of Phoenix, all the way to the southeast side. So it'll take you 34 minutes traveling at 65, 75 miles an hour to get all the way across inside this world that I'm creating. Now, with this, um, let's say you've got the capability to be able to go back in time um, and Let's say there's a, and this is just going to be one for instance and everything. You're interacting with somebody from Area 51, and there's a man named Ed Meekum, who was a, uh, was a um, kind of a corrupt, uh, corrupt politician and everything. And uh, he, he, lever he was a car salesman. So that ought to give you a little hint there and everything. But you've got the capability as a hacker and everything to uh, to basically make it so where you can actually leak information of this man's corruption and everything that you later learn. You know, um, you can link information to this guy who's interacting uh, with the past and you know that he will actually leak this information and at that point affect the, affect the past. You know, so at this point, you know, you know um, that uh, that this guy is more or less the moral authority, and that's kind of what they're doing at Area 51. They're acting like the moral authority for the timeline, and they're correcting the corruptions, and particularly the corrupt people. And they're making sure the corrupt people don't, uh, don't actually become, you know get into power and everything because what they're doing is they're trying to clean up the timeline and everything so you you go through and you leak information as a hacker um about this guy that his corruption is still not known but you leak information to this guy that's actually cl cleaning up the timeline and cleaning up the corruption you you leak information that yeah it'd make him as you know as a politician and everything in the mid uh in the mid-1980s, uh, mid um, very corrupt. Uh, he ended up uh, purchasing his votes from a number of, uh, number of sources, and at that point he ended up um, you know, basically buying his way into the, uh, into the governorship. At that point he turned around and he started, you know, he used it as a uh, vessel to basically promote his auto sales and to promote, you know, pr promote his own organization. So you leak this information to the Area 51 official, who at that point you know is going to turn around and basically try to correct this, you know, from the 1980s era and everything, and boom, all of a sudden, now, you have a history where Ed Meekum no longer has has actually been a politician and everything in 
in your version of uh, Arizona of Phoenix and everything. And not only that, but the whole car sales and all that kind of stuff. Meekum goes bankrupt, um, and you have a whole set of events that actually cascade out from this that uh, causes a whole section of uh, Phoenix to actually become kind of blighted. You know, the whole Camelback Corridor and everything. Where before, where in your world, the Camelback Corridor becomes kind of like elite and nice and everything, where... In, in the new world, all of a sudden, the world transforms in a literal sense around you. But you don't realize this until you go out. You know, so you go to this area and everything where it's really nice and elite. And uh, you don't realize, I mean, let's say you go there and then you leak the information to this. Well, you don't understand the underlying consequences of your actions and everything until you physically get out there and you actually see what goes on. You know, and at this point, it's just like, okay, you know, you decide you're going to take a trip out to the to the Meekum, to what, what used to be the Meekum, um, you know, facility and everything. Let's say it's based in the modern day, and, uh, you know, you go out to, you know, to the Meekum dealership that used to be the Meekum dealership to find out it's you know, no longer a dealership. Maybe it's just a, a tiny strip mall with, a, you know, something else. But you also notice that the Esplanade and, and the whole Galleria and all this other stuff that's downtown is no longer there. All this development, rich, nice development and everything is gone. That's actually the type of game that I'm trying to create is a world in which you can actually interact um, in an indirect fashion um, at first um, through individuals and everything, because this is going to be like a very, very conspiracy-laden game. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, I mean, you know what I used to do for a living in the past and everything, and I like the idea of taking some of those ideas and concepts that I've actually seen and, you know, just basically creating a game around it, you know, just more or less having some fun with it and everything. You know, so let's say you, you're interacting indirectly with these people and everything, and, uh, and, and you're actually trying to understand it. Um, as a hacker, because you've gotten access to all this information and everything, but uh, at this point, it's just like, you know, um, these changes that are made over time and everything are happening as a direct result of you, you know, but you want control of this technology, you don't know how to get in there, you know, so you as a hacker, that's kind of like your primary vote motivation is to actually get in and to control this technology. You know, you want access of it, of it for yourself and everything because you see directly the, the things that it's actually causing to happen in the world around you. You know, so, you know, it's just like, hey, this could actually be kind of fun for you to have. You know, but you're manipulating others and, and it's very, very structured with the, you know, potentially binary choices that you make. Do you leak the information about Ed Mecham or do you not? Um, you know, maybe you've got some similar information on, uh, on Clinton. Do you leak the information about uh, Clinton's affairs, you know? Um, that you obtain through the cameras or not. Well, boom. All of a sudden, you know, because it's not just around the Phoenix area, it's, it's a United States-based thing. Well, let's say you decide not to leak the information. Let's say the whole scandal, you know, about uh, Monica Lewinsky never comes out. You know, what are the implications are on this, this you know, this Phoenix? Because this is all gravitating around Phoenix. What are the implications of Phoenix the city when Clinton doesn't actually get the threat of impeachment and everything going through him? It could be like a minor blip 
flip or something like that. Or, you know, it could be something even more substantial. You know, I don't know. I mean, I haven't given that much thought and everything, you know, let alone how to actually implement this and everything. But that's that's kind of me for the important part is I need to have something that procedurally, um, and this is actually kind of the reason I'm putting it out there. I mean, just like my discussion in the fish and stuff and everything this morning, my belief is as I discuss things out loud, I, I create a rapport with my own mind and energy and everything to give me ideas to stimulate the processes that can actually potentially help me create the procedurally based environment that can actually have the resulting cities, you know, and not only that, but guide this, this, this stuff though, you know, so let's say in, in the case of, you know, the Meekum thing, um, let's say the, the message I'm trying to send is basically, you know, the guy did more good than he did harm, you know, especially in the longer term, he, he revitalized with his, you know, with his, and, and yes, I am saying, you know, Meekum was corrupt, you know, but what I'm trying to say is, uh, that information is something I wouldn't let out to the public, you know, so, you, you know, you're not necessarily the public, you know, so if I'm to actually uh, you know, give examples of his corruption and everything, I'm not, you know, and that's part, part of the reason. For me, it's on some unsubstantiated claims, you know, but uh, the guy was corrupt. I, I can assure you of that. You know, what that corruption is and, and you know, examples of that and everything, no, I'm not going to give it. But yes, it is enough to actually get him thrown out of office and everything. And not only that, but also make a public uproar for the entire nation and everything. But I'm not going to give that information away. But what I am going to say is, you know, let's say his impact to Phoenix is so important as a person, as a politician and everything, that it completely alters the foundation, you know, of, of auto, auto places in, in Phoenix alone, but it also alters one huge strip of Phoenix, which was, has become critical to the development of Phoenix, which is basically the Camelback Corridor. Let's say that man is single-handedly the one responsible for the revitalization of the Camelback Corridor. And uh, let's say leaking that information results directly, you know, I mean, leaking um, the, the evidence of that information results directly in none of this happening, in his, in, in his impeachment and getting thrown out of office, and the overall degradation of the Camelback Corridor, so much so that some of the nicer things that, uh, that are introduced, uh, particularly, you know, for me, somebody that's important for me, Rachel, you know, never get introduced to that whole corridor. Never, none of it ever happens. Biltmore, none of it ever, ever actually sees reality. You know, the whole, uh, the Biltmore is a, is a very fancy-smancy hotel and everything. And uh, it actually attracted presidents uh, shortly after that and everything, too. And um, the interesting thing about it is it only started actually booming in the 19, 1980s. I mean, it had a history before then, but uh, not as an elite hotel. And it became an elite hotel um, starting in about the, uh, 19, uh, 19, late 1980s and everything. So let's say Meekum's, uh, contribution to all this, you know, is just basically a complete revitalization, you know, and a, um, and, and a, a subtle respect for even, uh, for, you know, for some people that are working in their own self-interest and everything, you know, um, that, uh, that to some degree, this self-interest type thing and everything, 
creates uh, creates possibilities for others. You know, and not only that, but it also expands possibilities within within our world, and that's ultimately what what it resulted in. I mean, and that's actually my true belief. You know, that uh, learning what I did about what he what he did, um, I didn't you know didn't dislike the guy or 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 like him for it. You know, I just understood that that's part of being human. You know, I mean, that you're going to work in your own interest and everything. You know, but let's say that that it actually did happen, and as a result, it's just like um. I'm talking about the leaking of ev- evidentiary information and everything. Well, at that point, you know, maybe the whole Camelback Corridor is, you know, nothing but this, you know, destitute area and everything. It becomes the next Van Buren, you know, pol- prostitutes and, you know, na- nasty shit and everything instead of, you know, the the wonderful, vibrant community that it is right now. So, anyways, um, long story short... <laughs> You know, without those possibilities and everything, and you, at first, through this storyline that I'm starting to discuss and everything that I'm talking out loud, that I'm developing in my mind, you know, um, will have the capability indirectly to influence those people that are actually directly working with the technology that actually affects the world around you. Now, as you learn about these possibilities, you know, and the effects that it's having on the world around you, you may not necessarily see or understand the effects immediately. You know, you may not understand that, uh, you know, the world around you is kind of procedurally based, um, based on a, an overall design, you know, strategy and everything. Um, that, that may not make, make sense at first, you know, um, but as you learn about these tools, you know, and everything, the only way possible for you to move forward is by, and this is actually going to be a part of the story too, you can, in a literal sense, get stuck in certain moments and everything and not progress the storyline. And you're going to have to find different ways to actually alter the time mechanisms. You know, because, uh, and I'm not trying to do this to be harsh, I'm just just basically saying, look, you know, if you're messing around with time, those people, you know, um, that, uh, that you um, were supposed to talk to or something like that, um, inevitably, you may make choices and everything that, take them off your radar altogether. You know, um, I'm not going to prevent you from shooting yourself in the foot. You know, um, I mean, there's certainly a structured, you know, single linear way to be able to complete the story and everything, you know, but there may be other things that you can do, you know, within the story that uh, that basically take it so where you've literally eked out as much story as you could possibly get. You know, I, I want the structured portion of things. You know, the, the portion of where, you know, um, and I'm going to make that part of it predictable. You know, the part that you're actually going through and making the choices and everything that that ultimately lead, you know, to the end of the storyline. And thus, your assumption of control, you know, of this world and everything through the mechanisms that, uh, that were granted, you know, by this, uh, by this system that you've been indirectly in influencing and everything your entire life, not knowing it. Or your entire existence within, within this game world. You know, but you also may get to a point where the choices that you've made have created an interesting enough world and your influence on in it is enough that you may not want to actually complete the primary storyline. You may have thought of things that I never even thought of and the procedural generation type stuff and everything has created such an interesting mix to you. And uh, from there, you just assume control of it. 
or or you just live live out whatever it is that you're doing and everything and based on your certain perspective and everything I don't know yet. I mean, I, I'm trying to give it thought and everything. I like the idea of having a a conspiracy, and basically, it's more of a you know um, the taking the hacking from previous levels, where you're constantly getting involved with the police, and there's a little bit of modicum of the uh, FBI. Well, I'm going to take this to the to the nth level, you know, to the Watch Dogs Five. I'm going to make it so where the police are literally the least of your concern. You know, where the FBI, um, you're starting to understand what their what their purpose and, and you know what they're there for, which is you know it's basically there to maintain the peace, you know, from a federal perspective and everything, and uh, also to maintain commerce, you know, and to basically um, you know make sure that uh, commerce is being more um, more supportive than destructive. You know, so black markets in some cases are literally, um, you know, police have a tendency to look the other way in a lot of cases. And uh, I know this directly because of who I used to work for. So, and that's actually what I'm going to introduce is the, uh, is the idea of the NSA and the CIA, you know, and, um, you know, you're going to be directly interacting with these and also another agency called the Men in Black. And uh, there's also various different organizations that uh, that do similar activities. The Delta Force are actually responsible for doing some of this as well. Um, SEAL teams are actually re- responsible for some of this shit as well. And uh, there's a couple other teams like that as well. Um, now, in a general sense, uh, that's actually what I like the idea of doing, is basically making it so where you're in a world um, that uh, you have elevated yourself to such a level as a hacker and everything, um, that you are basically um, on everybody's radar, but because of your manipulations of time and everything, um, they're they're more interested in trying to understand what you're doing, and uh, and particularly when you become destructive to them and or to the world, you know at that point that's when they start cracking down on you and everything, and that's when you increase their interest in, in your they you increase their interest in your life and everything. So I like the idea of making this a very 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 conspiratorially bound game, you know, where you've got agencies that are actually looking in on you, and you've got artificial intelligence programs um, that you've actually awakened their awareness and everything that aren't, aren't commanded by any single entity or being or human or anything like that, and they're actually interacting with humans, you know, in much the same way that you are as a hacker. So I, I like the idea of actually taking all this this world of intrigue, of espionage, of of all these different thoughts and ideas and processes and everything, merging them into a, a mysterious world in which you are actually um, becoming a part of the system and everything. Not only that, but you're also becoming um, kind of a creator with your with your art um, that you're developing as a hacker. You know, you you become a world-class hacker, and uh, with that hacking kind of capabilities and everything, um, agencies aren't necessarily interested in, in stopping you until you become, you know, destructive. But what's that fine line of destructiveness and everything? And also, what is the... Um, oh, what's the best word for this? What's the, you know, how is it I can actually... Um, create a procedurally generated um, version of Phoenix and everything, maintaining history, you know, and uh, without a, you know, that that's going to allow, you know, for development of world and everything that I, that I have, you know, within me. Now, I have some personal goals from this, you know, and uh, one of the personal goals is to 
I don't know. You know, potentially affect and influence my own world. I like the idea of steering certain people back into my lives and everything. Maybe not, uh, you know, through direct influence, but through indirect influence. Um, I like the idea of seeing the potential different variations of Phoenix that could arise as a result of this. You know, and, um, I mean, as a result, I'm going to actually have a, a SQL Server database I'm, I'm creating this for. So I've got SQL Server 2008 R2 um, that I've installed on this machine, and uh, I'm actually going to do this with uh, all with C Sharp. So I'm and uh, OpenGL. So I'm actually going to be doing this, uh, you know, more or less, you know, using code that I probably shouldn't. Um, C Sharp's my preference because of just an easy language to work with and everything. And I just recently found out I can actually use um, some of the C C++ mechanisms within it by using the keyword unsafe. So I can actually have direct access to memory and to pointers and everything in much the same way I would with C and C++, which shows its ancestry and everything. And from there, you know, who knows what I'm going to do. But um, I don't know. You know, from there, just uh, we'll see what uh, we'll see what goes on. But that's the goal altogether is to uh, is to create a world that's uh, robust that provides different possibilities and. Uh, you know, potentially, you know, based on my ideas and concepts and everything, have it all procedurally generated and, you know, potentially share content on the, uh, on the, on this thing called the internet, as Bush would put it. So, anyways, that's it for now. Thanks for listening, as usual.